discussion class. I make you do this every week. Um, please affirm the following. We commit to understand that people will have different opinions and we will respect them. Can we all agree to that? Yes. Great, okay. Um, for those of you that tend to be more quiet and prefer to listen, can I ask you to commit to share your opinions? Okay, maybe try to share at least once today if you know you're a quiet person. We're not gonna hold you to that. But, um, but we value everyone's opinions in here, okay? Uh, for those of you like me that tend to talk maybe a little more, um, you kind of take up more of the airtime than, than maybe is your fair share, um, I ask that you would commit to allowing others to share their opinions and ideas. Can we all commit to that? Great, thumbs up from Kennedy. Okay, awesome. Uh, we're gonna respect the pause. If there's awkward silence, if there's a moment where we really don't know, uh, we're gonna let that dead silence exist. We're gonna be okay with it. Uh, because often that's when our wheels are turning. Can we all commit to that? I see some head nods. Okay, sure. bottom line, we agree. we agree to engage with one another respectfully. Everybody say yes. 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 Great. Okay. Um, anybody else? Ray and Zan. Okay, we're getting right into our discussion questions. So if you don't have a half sheet, come grab one. Okay, this is Grace, and this is Zan. Once again, all right. So, on your half sheets, I'm gonna ask you to indicate anonymously with a check mark or an X, please indicate your agreement or your lack of agreement with the following statements, okay? We will shuffle these papers and repass them out. You will know what somebody in the classroom thinks. You will not be accountable for your own opinion. Okay, so we will see all opinions represented, but there is safety in answering honestly. Okay, so first statement, please agree or disagree. Matter and space just happen to exist and have always existed, no one knows why. Do you agree or disagree with that statement? You got it, you got it, can you get your coffee again? Here, you can check mark while you're waiting. Okay, statement two. There is a force behind the universe which functions like a mind. It is conscious, has purposes, and prefers one thing to another. last time as well. This looks familiar. That's correct. We fully discussed these last time. Statement three, science cannot answer the question of why the universe was made. Science can do a lot of things, but it can't answer the question of why the universe was made. Agree or disagree? Okay, question four. If there was a controlling power outside the universe, it could not show itself to us as one of the observable facts inside the universe. Okay? It's helpful for me to imagine a snow globe. If there was a force outside the universe that made the snow globe, nothing in the snow globe would be able to track or study that force on the outside. 
Okay, that's not something anybody inside the snow globe could, could do. Agree or disagree? Okay, statement five. The only way a controlling power outside the universe could show itself is by working within us as an influence to get us to behave a certain way. Okay, so once again, think of the little creatures inside the snow globe. They wouldn't know they've been created by anything outside the snow globe unless there was something inside them that was being influenced a certain way. Okay, we got three more. The fact that humans have a conscience is an indication that a force outside of ourselves is intensely interested in our right conduct. The fact that we have a conscience is an indication that a force outside of ourselves is intensely interested in our right conduct. Okay, if a supreme being is tolerant of evil, if it can let corruption slide, then it cannot be absolutely good. And I mean absolute in the terms of 100%. Can there be any, anything other than good if a supreme being is tolerant of evil? Okay, last one. If an absolute goodness exists, it must hate most of what we do. Okay. These are intense, aren't they? Wait a minute. Oh, okay. Okay, if you're done, hand your thing to Susie, are you up for And then can you shuffle them for me? The wheels are turning. The wheels are turning. Right off, yeah. Can you show seven? You got it. We stopped at eight, yep. <laughs> okay, um, I will go over C.S. Lewis's arguments, then we're going to get into these questions, okay? Uh, so we're going to pick up with the chapter that we didn't quite get into last time, which is the what I call the science chapter. It's this idea of what lies behind the law, okay? Um, so briefly, uh, we've been talking just to catch everybody up. C.S. Lewis builds his main argument on this idea of the moral law. This idea that human beings all around the world, throughout history, throughout every different culture, have a shared sense of right and wrong. When we argue with one another, when we argue with one another, we are actually appealing to the other person's shared sense of what is right and wrong. Well, you know, I deserve to go first because I got here first, okay? That's something like we, we, we assume that they know the same rules that we do, okay? That's the same thing. So now um, C.S. Lewis gets into this question, okay, well, what's, what's behind the law? Why would all of us feel this in us? Okay, well, let's look, at, let's look at the question of origins, okay? How did we get here? He presents three different views, the materialist view, which is basically the Big Bang Theory, Okay, matter and space have always existed. We just, it's, we just came, you know, there was a lucky coincidence that brought us all to where we are. There is no divine creator or force behind the universe. Okay, that's option one. 
Option two is the religious view, which is this idea that something behind, something infinite is behind the creation of the universe, that it is conscious, it is more like a mind than, than anything else, and it wants us to behave in a certain way, yeah. okay? So that's what he calls the religious view, and obviously that encompasses all religions, right? That if there is any divine being, it's gonna fall in that category. But he said there's there's one more that's kind of in between called the life force view. He poo-poo's this. He's like, that's the idea that life just wants to perpetuate itself, that there's some there's some sort of momentum in the universe. It's not conscious, it doesn't have a mind, but it's the life force that wants us to evolve and to exist. And he's like, really, you just want the comfort of the idea that something bigger is out there, but you don't want to be held accountable to it. He's like, that's dumb. Like, choose one or the other. Choose materialist or religious, okay? Um, so then, um, he says, okay, so here, let's talk about what science is for, okay? We're interested in the source of the moral law. So let's think about what science is able to do. Well, science is able to study how things behave, okay? It observes, it, um, it experiments, but it cannot answer the why of why anything exists. That is not what science is intended to do, okay? Basically, he makes this, he says, so for that reason, Science is kind of a moot point when we're looking at the origins of the moral law. We have to look within ourselves for inside information to discover the origins of the moral law, okay? Um, you can kind of see this a little bit play out through, um, through, through some studies on animals, right? Like questions of like, do dogs feel empathy, <laughs> right? This is, this is a study that's been done. Don't you wish you could just ask a dog, right? We need that inside information that's happening in dogs to really know the answer of, do they really feel, it seems like they feel empathy. I love my dog, right? It seems like they feel empathy, but we can't really know unless we have that inside information. In the same way, C.S. Lewis says, listen, we've got something that can do more than what science can do. We have inside information that can help us determine the cause of this conscience, this moral law within us. Okay. So he says, okay, so in that case, how could we detect a controlling power outside the universe? Okay, if there is a divine force that made all of us, how would we know it exists? And he says, well, we, we wouldn't know it exists by studying anything inside the universe. True. Okay, we couldn't, we couldn't do that. We can't, using our finite tools, we're never going to find something infinite. Okay. Um, and again, and it's been helpful for me to think of this in terms of a snow globe, okay? If I made this snow globe, these little creatures inside are not going to know about me, okay? Um, his analogy is like an architect, okay? He says, you, um, no more than the architect of a house could actually be a wall or a staircase or fireplace in the house, okay? An architect isn't going to be in the house. God is not going to be inside our world, okay? We see, we see his handiwork. We don't see him himself, so we're, we're not gonna we're not gonna be able to study him through science. Okay, so we gotta look inside ourselves. We've gotta study this inside information. Um, he gives this great analogy of um, of mail. Okay, how do I know that the the postman or the the postal worker is delivering letters to people in every mailbox? Well, because I'm because he delivers letters to me, and I'm allowed to open the letters addressed to me. So, and they're, so I assume 
That's what he's giving to everyone else. Well, have you ever opened those? Have you ever opened your neighbor's mail? Well, no, but I can make an inference based on the letters I am allowed to open. He says, okay, that's the moral law. We can make inferences about the rest of humanity based on the packets that you're allowed to open, okay? And based on that, we find when we look in ourselves that there seems to be a sender of letters, a power behind the facts, a director, a guide, okay? And we base that because we have this sense of right and wrong. We feel guilt when we do wrong. We feel thankful and boosted when we do something kind, okay? He says, and based on what we can infer, it seems to be more like a mind than anything else we know. You can hardly imagine a bit of matter giving instructions. Okay? So, um, then we get into chapter 5. This chapter titled, We Have Cause to Be Uneasy. Um, so, C.S. Lewis address, starts this chapter by addressing skeptics. Okay? Um, some skeptics by now, they're reading and they're like, wait a second. You just talked me into believing in God. That is so dated. That is so passe. Been there. Tried that. Come on, C.S. Lewis. Like, be, be a little more progressive, okay? Religion is such a dated thing. So now C.S. Lewis gives this beautiful analogy. And I didn't realize how personal this analogy was until I learned about his biography. But he says, would you, um, or no, he says, we all want progress. But progress means getting nearer to the place where you want to be. If you've taken a wrong turning, then to go forward does not get you any nearer to where you want to be. If you're on the wrong road, progress means doing an about turn and walking back to the right road. And in that case, the man who turns back soonest is the most progressive man. Okay. Now, in um, C.S. Lewis's journey of faith, he, he came back to this memory from when he first arrived at Oxford, okay? Um, he said when he exited the Oxford railway station for the first time, he was loaded down with luggage. Mistakenly, he started walking down the street in the wrong direction. As he kept walking, he grew disappointed at the rather plain houses and shops he found. This isn't what I thought I was getting in for. Only when he reached the edge of town did he turn around to see the beautiful spires and towers that constitute Oxford. Oh, that's where I'm supposed to go. In telling the story, Lewis says, this little adventure was an allegory of my whole life. Boyhood was a fall from the joys of childhood. Growing up was even more of following the wrong way. The path less taken was a return to wonder and glory and a rejection of the mundane inanities of modern life. He needed to look back in order to go forward. Good only comes by undoing evil, a wrong sum can be put right, okay? And so this very personal analogy he includes in this chapter we have caused to be uneasy. He says, um, I think if you look at the present state of the world, it's pretty plain that humanity has been making some big mistake. We are on the wrong road, and if that is so, we must go back. Going back is the quickest way on. So um, then he goes on to say, we have two bits of evidence about the somebody, okay? Theologians would call this general revelation. This is what all people all over the world, this is the evidence we have to point us towards a God. He says, one is the universe he has made. If we use that as our only clue, then I think we should have to conclude that he was a very great artist, 
for the universe is a very beautiful place, but also that he is quite merciless and no friend to man. For the universe is a very dangerous and terrifying place. If you watch nature shows, you know what I'm talking about. <laughs> the other bit of evidence is the moral law that he has put into our minds. And this is a better bit of evidence than the other because it is inside information. You find out more about God from the moral law than from the universe in general, just as you find out more about a man by listening to his conversation than by looking at a house he has built. Okay? This is how he works in our hearts. And I bring this up because Homer Simpson is a rather secular character, right? And this is further indication that people all over the world from all different cultures recognize this dichotomy that all of us are kind of wrestling with every day, okay? So, um, and I deliberately, I loved Malia's comment last time, and I love that she was pushing us to think of other world cultures, okay? So I deliberately, for this slide, was trying to think, does this ring true from the cultures I have seen in other parts of the world, from what I know about other cultures? Um, C.S. Lewis says, the being behind the universe seems to be intensely interested in our right contact, in our right conduct, based on the compunctions we feel, the prickings of our conscience, we can conclude, and I'm going to go through this slowly so we can really think about, okay, in some of these different contexts, all over the world, are we interested in fair play? Is fairness and justice of value recognized all over the world? Um, unselfishness, do we admire generosity? And unselfishness? Do we disrespect when people are blatantly selfish? I think so. Courage. Do we admire acts of courage? Do we look down on people who are blatant cowards? Good faith. Okay. Trusting other people. Showing people uh, kindness. Honesty. I can't think of a single culture where dishonesty is a prized value. Truthfulness. I think these are values that hold up, right? Um, he says, but, so, so we can understand based on what we feel in ourselves, this, old, this supreme being seems intense, intensely interested in our right context, but it's not soft, okay? When we do something wrong, oh man, we feel it, okay? The moral law is not indulgent, it's not soft or sympathetic. If God is like the moral law, then he is not soft, okay? And now this is why we have cause to be uneasy, okay? There is no sense in asking the supreme being to make allowances for your bad behavior or to let you off, just as there is no sense in asking the multiplication table to let you off when you do your sums wrong. This is interesting. This paragraph, if I was C.S. Lewis's editor, which is a laugh, I might have encouraged him to break up this paragraph, okay? Because look at the lack of clear topic sentences here. We've got this. All the way here, this is all one single paragraph. All the way here, all the way here. Okay. So as a, this is, um, this is, I think it's the same pages, 29 through 31. So C.S. Lewis is kind of bouncing all over the place. I'm like, C.S. Lewis, I'm trying to teach this class and present your argument clearly. Throw me a bone. But he gets into this question of like, you better hope it's not impersonal. You better hope the supreme being is a person. Because a person can forgive. A person can show mercy. A person can weigh concerns. If it's just absolute goodness that you're reckoning with, you're in trouble. Because you will never be able to appeal 
to this absolute supreme goodness uh, to let you off. You're stuck because if you've made a single mistake, you're in the you're in the doghouse. Okay, so you better hope that it isn't just some impersonal being, that it's a person. Okay. Um, he said, "There's also no sense in saying I don't believe in it. I'm not going to bother with it." Um, he says. Uh, the trouble is that one part of you is on his side. You really agree with his disapproval of human greed and trickery and exploitation. You may want him to make an exception in your own case to let you off this one time, but you know that at the bottom, unless the power behind the world really and unalterably detests that sort of behavior, then he cannot be good. On the other hand, we know that if there does exist an absolute goodness, it must hate most of what we do. Now that makes us feel uneasy, okay? Um, God is the only comfort. This is, a, this is an amazing portion. Um, I'm going to read this whole bit. It's not on the slide, but I'm going to read the whole bit. And I think I've, I've got Aslan here because I think C.S. Lewis's depiction of Aslan does such an amazing job representing this reality. This is a terrible fix we are in. If the universe is not governed by an absolute goodness, then all of our efforts in the long run are hopeless. But if it is, then we are making ourselves enemies to that goodness every day and are not in the least likely to do any better tomorrow. And so our case is hopeless again. We cannot do without it. We cannot do with it. God is the only comfort. He is also the supreme terror, the thing we most need and the thing we most want to hide from. He is our only possible ally and we have made ourselves his enemies. That's sobering, isn't it? Okay, and now he says, that's where we get to Christianity. My reason was that Christianity simply does not make sense until you have faced the sort of facts I've been describing. It is after you have realized that there is a real moral law and a power behind the law, and that you have broken that law and put yourself wrong with that power. It is after all this, and not a moment sooner, that Christianity begins to talk, okay? And Jerry's sermon really emphasizes that today when he talked about the Pharisees aren't resonating with Jesus's message. They don't know that there's anything wrong with them. It's those broken people who recognize there is, there is so much that is wrong with me. There is so much that I've done to put myself in the wrong with this power. That's, those were the people that were ready for the good news, okay? We're gonna end today's class in this awful moment because, this, because until we recognize that we're here, there's no need for a savior, okay? Yeah, Lee, you had your hand raised. Oh, no, 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 I'm just, I was disagreeing with you, what you were saying. You're saying amen. Yes, I amen. love, I, I appreciate that, yeah. okay, amen, okay. Um, okay. And so then um, he's got this great line at the end. Uh, he says, um, I know this is hard. He's like, I'm, I'm telling you a hard truth. Sorry. No, I'm sorry. <laughs> sorry, not sorry. Uh, he says, in religion, as in war and everything else, comfort is the one thing you can't get for by looking at it, by looking for it. If you look for truth, you may find comfort in the end. If you look for comfort, you're not going to get either comfort or truth. Only soft soap and wishful thinking to begin with and in the end, despair. We get this, right? We go to our phones sometimes to zone out. Mm -hmm. We binge on Netflix to zone out to get comfort. Then we turn it off and we just feel lousy. Okay? If you, if you look for truth, you may get comfort in the end. Okay? All right, so that's what we're talking about today.
Um, so, um, Susie, you up for passing things out? Yeah, so now we're gonna discuss it. Thank you. Okay, we're gonna go quickly through the first the first couple of sciency questions um, because we did touch on them last time. So we're mainly just gonna look at where people stand with these first two, and then get into some of the other questions. We've got 20 minutes to discuss. 22 minutes. Okay, so for those of you who are new to how this works, <coughs> um, your card is giving you your marching instructions. Mm -hmm. This side of the room represents the agree side. This side of the room represents the disagree side. Mm -hmm. As we go through the different questions, the different statements, <laughs> you are representing someone else in the room their opinion, and you're just gonna go to the side of the room that your card is telling you to go to, okay? Okay, so statement one, matter and space just happen to exist. They've always existed, no one knows why. Okay, do you agree or disagree? Move yourselves, please. This is agree? That's agree. Okay. It's what this party thinks, right? That's what this party thinks, right? Okay. So where does statement one, where's your check mark? Is it on disagree or is it on agree? Okay. Okay. I don't actually have a piece of paper, so I'm just saying that. Okay. Um, Susie, if you want, then you can just represent I'll your I'll just opinion. stay on this side. Okay. All right. So um, I think this makes sense, right? There's mostly, there's a lot of people who are, we are all church-going people, right? Most yes. church-going people would disagree with this. Um, because a lot of people go to church, believe that there is a God that created the universe, okay? However, if you were to do this question out on the streets, you probably get a, a heavier side over here, right? Mm -hmm. So I'm thankful that there were some people in the room that indicated agreement with this, because this is a really important opinion to reckon with, okay? It would be interesting to ask people who agree with this, how would they explain this presence of a conscience? What do you do? How, where do we get our sense of right and wrong? Okay, C.S. Lewis went through a lot of the other secular arguments already. We've talked about those in past classes. If you're interested, listen to the podcast. Okay. All right, we're going to go to the next well, one. Oh, yes. Sunny, go for it. Oh, when you said that, I would say that happens in, inside the space. Tell me more. What do you mean? There's matter you uh -huh. can see, okay. and then there's space uh -huh. you cannot see. The matter exists in the space, okay. and in the space there can also be the conscious, the consciousness, or the whatever. All the, all the things you cannot see is in the space because space is infinite, okay. and everything can exist in the infinite. Even even moral, even morality. Yeah. Even things which are disconnected to just matter. Yeah. Okay. I think morality can exist in the space. Interesting. Mm -hmm. I think I would I would probably say I, I can't think of anything which could if we're just dealing with matter and the physics of matter coming together and exploding and evolving, I don't know how you I don't know where you get morality out of that because it's not it's not matter, it's something else. 
That's that's what I would yeah, say. It, it, it is not matter. Yeah, I, I mean, I, yeah, I agree with that. Okay, let's keep going because we did touch on this stuff last time. Um, so we're just kind of catching ourselves up. Okay, statement two. There is a force, this is C.S. Lewis's argument, behind the universe which functions like a mind. It's conscious, it has purposes, it prefers one thing to another. Go ahead, indicate your agreement or lack thereof. So which side is agree? Uh, that's agree. Agree is over here. This is agree, this is disagree. Why would why would most people agree with this? Because there is a God and somebody created us and we did. Okay. Okay. <laughs> I, yeah, I, I agree with that. Uh, why would someone disagree with this? Because they think it's Star Wars. <laughs> Star Wars. <laughs> I think I think your statement, um, like it functions like a mind. Yeah. Might be a little confusing. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. This is the least religious way you can think about a god, right? Yeah. yeah actually, I agree with, with that statement that probably the, the use of the word mind yeah. does not help that much because if you think about, for example, all of the mathematical and physics laws that applies at least in this universe are constant. There's not a, it's not a mind. Basically, it's just a physical law that happens to be that way. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Yeah, well, and so that's why, so I think for a lot of us that prefer, we want to see God's name in here somewhere, right? Like, where's God's name? This sounds too secular for me, okay? I wanted, I'm always tempted to, to, to be like, Psst, this is the religious view. You do believe in this, what we do, okay? But, but even, first, even, yeah, go ahead. Even if God's name is not there, it still will be okay with, with me at least. Yeah. Because of these laws that I said that govern the universe. Yeah. And I think the reason that it's important to reckon with this wording is because when we're talking with non-believers, this is the kind of wording that we're starting with, okay? It seems as though there's something that is urging my consciousness to behave in a certain way, okay? We're not using God's name yet. We're not talking about Jesus yet. We're just saying, huh, I feel it. Do you feel it too? Do you feel something pressing on your conscious, conscience uh, when you do wrong? That seems something, but it seems like there's a force out there that is urging me to do one thing over another. Any other, yeah, Valerie? Sometimes it's forcing me to do wrong, me, and then I don't do it, like my pastor class yesterday. Oh. But I did the right thing. C.S. Lewis does hint at a distinction between the mind and so how does a religious person So he, he's, he's kind of walking us through baby steps, okay? He does start in this chapter, he, he does start kind of subtly interchanging this being he. Uh, he starts capitalizing all of those pronouns. You can tell where he wants to take us, right? He does want to take us to a person. And I think we see that argument for the personhood of this being um, in chapter 5, where he starts contrasting the ramifications of an impersonal absolute goodness versus a personal um, force of good. So those two things are the same thing? He, yes, but one is more graduated than the other, right? We start with the mind, 
because that is sort of the, you know, he's going from kind of broad, right? What do all humans experience? Okay, let's narrow it down. What does that mean? Must be kind of like a mind. Okay, now, if you think of it as like a mind, is it personal or impersonal? Well, we better hope it's personal, okay? And then he kind of keeps going us down until all of a sudden we're at, we're at Jesus Christ, okay? And, um, and that, that's where he's taking us. So, we, it's, so mind is a much larger, broader term for what he will ultimately come to define as a person. Okay, let's go to three. Science cannot answer the question of why the universe was made. Do you agree or disagree? I'm just getting a cookie. Yeah. <laughs> They got the science, they got the physical sense, but why, you know? But why? They're not God. They're not God. <laughs> That's all I can say. <laughs> um, can anyone think of a reason why someone would disagree with this? That perhaps science can answer the question of why? teaches how things uh, yeah. and what things are yeah. as, as opposed to discerning some sort of immaterial purpose. Yeah. I think what science often does is it, in, it infers, it speculates after it comes up with all of these conclusions, then it says maybe this is why. But science itself can't discover the why. It can, it can guess. And so actually what C.S. Lewis is doing, he observes the moral law and then he takes us towards an inference. But um, I think this is a useful statement because both Christians and non-Christians get hung up on the science stuff. Okay, I know that when I was in high school, I was a rabid um, apologeticist. I was—I had just come to faith. I was in a very secular environment. I read books disproving evolution. I was, in fact, my senior project before I had a change of heart. Thank God, my senior project was to stand at a podium and I was going to give a rebuttal to atheism. Okay. Now, how many people do you think I would have helped or encouraged or drawn toward the Lord with a rebuttal to atheism, right? Um, but I, I was ready to have the watchmaker conversation with anybody who would, who would have it with me. Okay, that's not, that's really not actually very compelling at all. Yeah, Pauline? Uh, well, I just, it just occurred to me, science is still looking for the reason why. It is, absolutely. I mean, they've got things out there that's right. That's right. Yeah. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. That's right. Uh, Bogart. I was going to say something related to that. Maybe some people may disagree because science is continually progressing and evolving. Yes. We know much more than 100 years ago. So maybe now we know facts. Maybe yeah. in the future we'll, we will know more. Yeah, yeah. That's what I was going to say in line with that is through the scientific activity, uh, and I say uh, personally uh, as a scientist, as a matter of fact, we 
we look for uh, answering these uh, whys, and we have whys. Tiny chunks of the of the real and big picture why, yeah. which I can say I don't know why does dopamine exist? Mm -hmm. Well, it exists for two neurons to communicate. Mm -hmm. There is a tiny why. Yeah. So if you sum up all the whys at some point, who knows? Yeah. You will know the the the, the, the big picture. But yeah. so far, no, just yeah. partial whys. Just that's yeah, that's a great um, that's a great illustration. Um, yeah, well, and it kind of stands to reason that if human beings all over the world have, have stared up at the heavens and have asked why, why am I here, why do I exist, doesn't it stand to reason that maybe there's an answer, that maybe we can't find outside of our own flesh and blood material? Yeah, Kate. I think a, a why that comes to my mind in this discussion is why, why do we seem to be the that in the Bible, and I forget what book it's in, it does talk about life, alien life forms before we even got here. So that's that's up to the believer. Yeah, I'm not going to elaborate on it. Be interested in looking at that verse. Yes. I think, once again, this is a question that, um, mm -hmm. is, is there life out there? That doesn't that doesn't shake my faith, if, if there is. There's, there's a lot of talk of aliens right now in the news. Aliens are a hip, interesting topic <laughs> in the news, right? What if, what if they exist? Does that restrict God's divinity? Does that restrict his capacity for, um, for calling people? You know, just as, as if we find another species in the Amazon, does that change what we believe about God? Okay, I, don't, I really don't think it does. So let's keep, let's keep going. Uh, okay, statement four. If there was a controlling power outside the universe, this is kind of a confusing one, it could not show itself to us as one of the observable facts inside the universe. Do you agree or disagree? This is that snow globe analogy. Okay, we are more evenly split with this one. So, um, why would someone agree with this? Or why would someone disagree with this? Or are we all just confused? <laughs> I think it's the way it's worded, but I would just say because God is omniscient, omnipresent, and um, forget the last one, and, and, and omnipotent. But yeah, I mean, we can't see him. Mm -hmm. You know, that's where I, that's where I started reading into it. I'm like, wait a minute, Observ observable facts mm -hmm. inside the universe. God's not. God is not an observable being. So. Well, I think, you know, in, in, in agreement, mm -hmm. argument would simply be if this power is not, not you know, all-encompassing in its power, 
and if it is outside, and if it's outside which is not observable, mm -hmm. then it can't penetrate the sort of the bubble mm -hmm. to reveal itself to folks who live by observation. So I'm thinking of like, tell me if this is an analogy that suits with what you just said. Um, I might be interested in finding out the goings on of an anthill, but I'm too big to go inside that anthill and, <laughs> and interact. I, if, so if God is infinite, could he, the only way really you could do it is if you have the power to transform yourself into an ant, right? And actually, Christian theology would say that that's exactly what God did in the person of Jesus. Okay, but in that infinite form, you can't, you can't, you're not going to be seen inside the anthill. Okay, your effects might be seen, like if I stomp on it, okay, or if I'm, if I have some, like, mental power to influence the ants, okay, but that's really the only way I can be seen. I remember having a conversation in high school with a friend who was an atheist, and we were debating this question of evolution versus creationism, and, and I said, well, here's my question. Edith, like how could, if, if you're dealing with a finite world where matter can only be changed, it can't be created, it can only be rearranged, which is a law of physics, how could finite matter have always existed? That's ascribing infinite capacities to something finite. So the only thing that could have always existed is something infinite. And you don't see anything infinite in our world. The laws of physics don't have don't have a category for the infinite. Um, and that was a, that was an argument I think that, that resonated with her. Any other thoughts on this one? Why might someone disagree with this, Valerie? Well, this isn't a disagreement. This okay. Is just like what you described, the guy making the house, he's out here making it, yeah. he can't be a piece of the house. Yeah. But then the Christian view is, he did come inside uh -huh. with his son. Yeah. But, um, yeah. So I yeah. It makes me think of uh, Moses and the burning bush. Mm -hmm. How, like, God made his presence known in this burning bush. Yeah. And in other ways, but... Yeah. Yeah, that, that, that um, you know, we can imagine that a very, very powerful being might have the capacity to enter in by changing him or herself in some way. And we see that in the Bible with these appearances. Sissy, thank you for speaking up. I appreciate you going through that. Pauline. And, and Moses allowed to see his part of his Yeah. And so it's not a Which I just love because Moses is such a stinker in that story at different times. He's just such a stinker. And yet God engages with him and talks with him. How amazing. He spoke to him personally. It's amazing. Okay, let's keep going because we've only got four more minutes. Okay, statement five. The only, oh no, did I just, oh, okay. Kind of this is part two of the same question. Really the only way a controlling power could show itself to us is by influencing us inside. Mm-hmm. Okay, we're seeing some nods. We might skip over this one because we've basically been talking about this the whole time. I'm just going to keep talking. We've been hitting on this one quite a bit. This is the, this is the idea of the moral law, right? Okay, let's get into uh, chapter 5. The fact that humans have a conscience is an indication that a force outside of ourselves is intensely interested in our right conduct. 
Now we start getting into this question of a mind, right? That it has purposes. It prefers one thing over another. Do you agree or disagree? That was a disagree. We have a conscience. What do you what do you make of a conscience? Okay, why would someone agree or disagree with this? Star Wars again. Tell me, what do you mean? Say more. Well, just the, any, any reference to the force outside of ourselves is so vague. It's just that I can see where people can disagree. Okay. Okay. Yeah. I I can appreciate. So yeah, we 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 tend we want things in correct theological terms. C.S. Lewis is not not allowing those right now. He's just trying to, he's speaking very, very broadly yeah. to a very, very broad audience. Any other thoughts? Well, I mean, sometimes the, the conscience is um, explained as biology. Say, say more about that. Say like that the brain, that there really isn't a conscience, that instead it's the way our brain is firing. And so, you know, that famous story about the guy that got the thing in his head, <laughs> the rebark through his head, and he then became, he was a good person, and then he became a bad person, right? Yeah. Yeah. And so that's just his biology changed, and so he did not, you know, so our conscious is really just a matter of our biology. Yeah. Well, I think, I mean, I think you can, um, that brings up questions of, it, does God work through our biology, right? I mean, has he created us in such a way that actually these divine purposes and reasonings are, are present? I think we can all agree that brain damage does, it changes you. It changes fundamentally, it changes your personality, um, it changes your morality, okay? So is this just a trick of biology, or is it possible that God has actually made our biology the way that it has yeah. to communicate his divine purposes. I just wanted to in science we have this that conscience is something that we don't know where is it, yeah. but mind, memory is what makes us. Okay. So we are, we can understand memory mm -hmm. that what makes us, like we just are what we are because we remember mm -hmm. and we forget. But the consciousness, the science doesn't hmm. explain that. It's a main part of it. The consciousness, mm -hmm. of my view, uh, resides more in the field of the, how do you say in English, psyche? Psyche? Psyche, yeah. That is not an organic stuff that you can measure. It's not something you can measure or observe. Interesting. Okay. Yeah. yeah, Josh? So I, I think, I, I was thinking of that slide you have of cultures around the world, and I think, like, pretty clear that everyone, like humans across the planet, have a sense of right and wrong, or I would say like justice, or like I've been wrong, and, and, and people accuse that. And even across religions, you'll see similar language. Uh, I showed a Bollywood film to my students this week, and there's a scene where the people are desperate, and they pray to a Hindu god, and you could literally uh, uh, like take the words in the song, it pretty much sounds like a song you would sing, but we would say Jesus. So I think it's here where I think what I hear from people who maybe don't believe in a divine being is that mm -hmm. they just see that as a process of like uh, evolution, right? Yeah. Cooperative work right. help you know yeah. Homo sapiens 
come to be the dominant species by working together, right? And in order to do that, you have to transcend yourself mm -hmm. for the greater good, and that makes you, uh, you know, like, it's just a better life like, than everyone in it for themselves. C.S. Lewis, we talked about that in some previous weeks, he talks about the herd instinct, which is that idea that what's best for the herd becomes our shared morality, because we recognize that if we were to go against that, life would be bad for everyone. So let's collectively agree to prioritize the needs of the herd. Um, and he, he he does rebut that. Um, it, it's a little, it is a little dark thinking that the only reason why I love my children and care for them is from a nurture and, instinct. That was going to help me survive. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's a pretty bleak yeah. king kind of life. I don't know if I could get <laughs> <laughs> from a, if I was trying to explain it without God, yeah. it, it would make sense. Yeah. I can see but, but the weird thing about that, in my opinion, if, you know, you're talking about parenting, is like love doesn't seem necessary to me for the species to survive. Like what is necessary is providing food and shelter. Hmm. But like spending time reading books with my kids, mm -hmm. and like nurturing them Quality. and just like kissing them, mm -hmm. it's not necessary. Yeah. Yeah. So where does that come from? That's a great, so there's, um, so yeah, this idea that um, there's a, a healthy person, but there is a certain level of virtue and morality that is required of, of a person in good health. And C.S. Lewis is going to talk about this later in the book when he talks about psychotherapy. He sort of talks about, like, if you can imagine that there's a spectrum, and you've got a line here which indicates relative health, like cognitive health, um, he says, listen, if you've got... Um, you know, we would say a chemical imbalance, okay, that puts you on this spectrum somewhere where you are not capable of functioning, of making the same sorts of virtuous decisions that somebody who's, who's relatively stable could make. He says, get yourself there. Like, that's the priority. At that point, you are accountable for virtues um, that, that, that God is calling us to. But if you are not there, then psychotherapy and medication might be very appropriate. Okay, and that's my modern paraphrase of his argument. But we could say the same thing about somebody who has been brain damaged. Okay, Kate, in the back. Um, going back years to when I told all the classes, in fact, if infants from infancy do not have touching hmm. and, and face, 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 I mean, this is, that's why this is concerning right yeah. now. It's mm -hmm. because they need to be able to see your face and see your expression. If they don't have that, they don't, and do all the rest of the stuff. They don't develop well. They don't thrive. They don't turn into normal. That's right. For me, so one thing that I learned when I was um, getting ready to give my rebuttal to atheism, right, and then I ended up changing it and, and shared about a mission trip that I had taken instead. <laughs> but I remember my teacher, my mentor teacher at the time, said, Greta, she was a believer, she said, one thing that people will never be able to argue with is your own story. Okay? And when I think about um, that, that memory from kindergarten, right, when I, my friend David Coolish had helped me 
um, make friends after I came in in the mid-year, and then I betrayed David by whispering to Alice and Joseph, David reads the wrong Bible, right? He was a, he was a Mormon, and that's how my mom had explained Mormonism to me. And I, I had no, I had no, my mom had never given me moral instruction related to that, okay? I wasn't lying, I was telling the truth, but I knew deep within me, I have wronged my friend, I have betrayed my friend. There was no, there was no moral instruction there, but there was something in me that instantly recognized my guilt, okay? That is my own story of reckoning with the moral law. I bet most of us have a story like that, where when we get away from you know, all, some of these theories, um, at the end of the day, if you are talking to someone and you are trying to have a conversation about matters of faith, get personal. Like, how have you experienced this? Here's my own story of how I've experienced this. Um, I bet most of us have a pretty, a pretty compelling story that we can share. Let's do one more. We're past time, but we did start late. So feel free to leave if you need to leave. Um, Andrei. The seven? You want to do seven? Okay, let's go with seven. Uh, If the supreme being is tolerant of evil, then it cannot be absolutely good. There's a theological point for you. Agree or disagree? Look at your sheet. What does your sheet say? Okay, we're divided on this. This is interesting. We're divided. It is. Okay, why would someone agree with this or disagree with this? If a supreme being is tolerant of evil, then it can't be absolutely good. What do you think? Grace, can I pick on you? What do you think? Why would someone agree or disagree with this? Yeah, Bogart. I think somebody, someone who used to see things black and white all the time would agree. Someone who thinks in black and white terms would agree with this. Okay. Okay. Uh, Pauline, you had your hand raised. Well, I was just thinking that good and evil can exist together. They can't exist together. They cannot. They cannot exist together. Yeah, I agree with that. Yeah, John. Uh, well, I would put the emphasis on if because uh, who says he's tolerant of evil? Yeah. I won't say he's tolerant of evil. Okay. I think he's just okay. evil to take care so of. So you don't buy into the premise to the begin with. He's not, I don't believe he is tolerant of evil. Okay? I mean, evil's in the world. We haven't been squashed like bugs for our evil. So is he tolerant of, of evil? Hadassah? Oh, great. Sorry. It takes away, like, Ah, so those are personal qualities, right? Yeah. Hadassah? I think because it's supreme. Supreme. So it covers everything. And thinking about God, everything was created by him. Mm-hmm. So if we say everything, so everything. Yeah. But even evil. Ah, okay. Was created. Okay. So if we say supreme, then everything, including evil, has maybe been made by this. Yeah. Um, let me let me end class with an analogy that I once used with my students. We were we were reading *The Merchant of Venice*, and there's this famous uh, dichotomy set up at the end of *Merchant of Venice*, where um, Shylock, who's sort of this villainous character, saying, "I want justice. This man did not pay my debt. We agreed that if he didn't pay the debt, I would get a pound of his flesh. I want justice." 
And then Portia, who's disguised as a lawyer, says, but what about mercy? Okay, what about mercy? You must show mercy. And in, when I was teaching this to my students, I said, okay, I want you to imagine that your parents are either all merciful or all justice. Okay, so, so you come home late one night. You've been hanging out with your friends. Your curfew was 10, you get home at 10.05. Okay, do you want parents that show all justice or do you want parents that show only mercy? And so they're like, well, we want mercy. Of course, right? Okay, so then every time you do something wrong, your parents let you off the hook. If you are rude to them, they let it go. If you steal, oh, I love you, honey. It's okay, okay? And they started realizing, oh, those would be terrible parents, right? And so they're like, yeah, it's better to have parents who are all justice. At least then you know what you expect. Okay, so then if you are selfish or rude to your sibling, what happens? Do, do they disown you? They're not your parents anymore. And we start going through those illustrations. And the kids started getting really frustrated. And they're like, you need both. And I was like, yes. Yes, you need both. You need parents who are intensely aware of justice. Amen. But have the love and mercy for you that they will use discretion to extend mercy so that you learn to be a better person. That is what our God does. Okay? We need a supreme being who is absolutely intolerant of evil. Because otherwise, there is no justice. But we need a person who will forgive us for our daily breaches yes. of that goodness. Right? Amen. 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 Lord, thank you that you are that God. Thank you that you are gracious. Thank you that you are just. We love you. We need you. We fall upon your grace. It is our only hope. Thank you for being our ally, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. amen.